Okay, welcome to You Talking With Greg. My <laughs> guest today is Rob Scott. Uh, I met Rob, what is it, about a year or so ago? I'd have to... Probably um, about that now, yeah. Yeah, you reached out, and all of a sudden there was a vibe and connection. Rob's got an unbelievable story to tell, and I hope we get a little bit of background. And he also has a super powerful, fundamental shift, identity-shifting perspective on where we are, how we relate to our thoughts and beliefs and our experience of being. I know I've benefited from it and I'm looking forward to us to dialoguing about it, exploring it, and yeah. connecting it to you talk and all that good stuff. So yeah. welcome, Rob. Thank, Thank you, man. I'm absolutely honored to be here. I'm so excited. I love anytime I get to talk to you, but I also want to, I'm so happy to be a part of the podcast. So this is awesome. Yeah, man. I'm a, and you're one of the first episodes ever, and I'm thrilled to be here. So, yeah. and we're in business itself. So, yeah, totally, <laughs> totally. Yeah. Every time I connect with you, I just feel the now and I feel the connection. And uh, I've got many, many fond memories of our of our conversations, and they have been very edifying to me. So, oh, that's uh, awesome, I look man. Yeah, to, uh, keep our entanglement along those lines. Yeah, and maybe we can come back to sort of the importance of business and all that and what what some of that means as we as we go through this. Amen. We have an unbelievable story. Uh, certainly yeah. I've heard some of it, but uh, I'd really welcome, you know, sort of a beginning with, you know, how did you get here uh, yeah. through uh, your journey? Well, uh, you know, I, I, because of the, the dramatic nature of the story, uh, often when I'm on different podcasts, I'm asked to tell it. And, uh, I've had, you know, I've got the, the very quick version that is, you know, maybe, maybe the most useful to kind of go through, but also you and I, you know, I've, I've shared more sort of offline yeah. with you about some of the details and some of the mess, uh, that it was like so many people, I went through a really dysfunctional, abusive, uh, young life. So, um, one of the big standout things of that was, um, uh, someone in my life that was uh, a caregiver that my parents would hand me off to for different periods of time was, you know, horribly violent, uh, right. sexually abusive. I was, you know, raped repeatedly lots of times for years as just a little guy. And, um, so, you know, to give a sense that was from, you know, three ish, four years old till eight or nine years old. Okay. And, um, you know, that experience of that, if you think about it, people can have that happen one time and it can be destructive, right? To have Absolutely. that kind of going on repeatedly and um, in lots of ways to not feel protected, not feel safe yep. anywhere, and then have a whole lot of other dysfunction uh, like addiction and fighting and the regular old divorce stuff, which actually yep. back then in the 70s was not quite as common. <laughs> not and, regular and, old. Huh? You know, okay, right? And <laughs> and so it, it was it was a lot. And I don't think I ended up getting the patterns of, you know, emotional understanding, safety, uh, trust, um, you know, lots of those things. And so at a very, very young age to deal with that. Uh, and because I had, uh, college age kids that ended up living near me at one point, I got introduced almost as like a little mascot that I think they were making fun of, but it was a place where I, I think I got to feel significant or got attention right. and they started to give me drugs and alcohol mm -hmm. and different things like that. So I started to experiment very young, uh, took it way too far, way too young. And so that sort of substance abuse along with dysfunction, all that led to 
barely paying attention in school. Uh, right. Luckily, I was smart enough that I could navigate that and, mm -hmm. and get through that, but I was never interested or really learning. Uh, I went to a school that had all male teachers mm -hmm. and I didn't feel safe around any of them. So it was like mm -hmm. being kind of put into a place where there were all these potential uh you know, villains around right. kind of thing. Right. And, you know, I don't know that I ever even built up like, what is intimacy? How do you build friendships? Like, right. you know, all, all the different stuff. So that got worse and worse and worse. And in my late teens and into my early twenties, I actually ended up homeless. I was, mm -hmm. uh, you know, trying to actually mm -hmm. leave the whole system, uh, live right. outside of things, but was deeply addicted to, you know, all the heavy things, heroin, mm -hmm. uh, crack cocaine, uh, hallucinogens, like anything right. I could get to feel differently. I was, I was trying to deal with. And um, that led to getting into really bad situations with police where I was, you know, beat up and uh, really badly uh, abused through uh, annoying them over time for, for a while and, and sort of not complying. And that leads to, you know, at one point I ended up uh, getting in a fight and taking a gun off a cop. And wow. once you do that, you end up um, they, they show you what a bad idea that is, uh, usually after that. So that led to days of just really difficult, uh, experience with, uh, police. And so through that, um, you know, that can I just, can I just pause oh, you there for yeah, a second? Yeah, yeah, please, because please. I, so I, you know, as many of you know, I'm a clinical psychologist, right? Yeah. Uh, and I think it's really important for us to set the stage. That's why I wanted to at least give the version of this in relationship to, so what we see over and over, and I'm sure you know this, is, is people with traumatic histories and confusing histories and uh, injurious experiences that just keep intruding upon their consciousness in certain ways and, and entangling them in where they are and, and grounding them in particular ways. Yeah. Uh, this is something that you know about. <laughs> given yeah. History yeah. Very clearly and, and in pretty, um, you know, deep and dramatic ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. And, and I was, you know, I, I felt completely worthless. I felt like I should have never been born. I was angry at the universe or God or who insert whoever for making me be born. Uh, I ended up projecting a lot of this uh, trauma out onto the world. And so how I interpreted the world was not only was I dealing with all this, but so many other people were, uh, you know, just dealing with unfair situations and, right. you know, power over powerlessness everywhere. And so everything seemed disgusting and, uh, and difficult and gross and, you know, all of the above. And, you know, by the way, the, the, the abuse I went through, you know, it, it led to other bad things too. So like in my drug years, uh, and I don't know that I always highlight this as much, you know, I was re traumatizing myself, you know, uh, right. over and over and over again, just horrible situations as a young adult, that those alone could have been enough to just, you know, right. destroy someone. And I have people around me, uh, many of my closest friends, uh, multiple really, uh, committed suicide. Other people died in car accidents. Um, in addiction, you don't end up having close friendships. The addiction is sort of the central, uh, point of the focus. Uh, so you don't have even close friends, really, but the ones that you do have end up being, uh, you know, invitations back into problems. So there was this, every time I, I went through some stage, it was almost like I had to start again, meet people again, develop new friendships because people in the past, if I was trying to be more functional, you know, it wouldn't, it wouldn't work out. 
Um, what ended up happening and the reason I, you know, I own a business now that's called the fundamental shift. Uh, mm. and I work on something uh, that teaches that. And then after that, this, what I consider a skill uh, of identity shifting, uh, and, you know, set in this context that almost sounds like, oh, well, you're faking or you're trying to pretend to be different people. And it's actually not that at all. It's actually really figuring out like, what am I in, in, a, right. in a much deeper way than I think the average, even psychological community thinks we are, right? There's a, there's a different way of, of getting connected to what it is to be a human and be alive and interact totally. with people and do all those things. So I really had this incredibly profound wake up experience mm. that was what I consider my fundamental shift. Mm -hmm. And as much as I skim over it and often make that seem like that fundamental shift led to all this high function, it did, but it actually took a while because I was mm. still this really immature, addicted uh, kid really. Mm -hmm. And, um, but it came with a lot of wisdom. So for, you know, a, a bunch of my twenties, I was in this very weird position of having a lot of wisdom, but also, you know, having a lot of deep dysfunction that was deeply ingrained. Um, right. But what ended up happening was I was able to all of a sudden uh, figure out sobriety, mm -hmm. uh, figure out getting an entry level job and, mm -hmm. uh, and just started to show up differently. And what I had done is I really had, I said, what if I put down all these things that I think I am? What if I really mm -hmm. in a legitimate way, put down my history and right. show up to each moment as if it's a fresh thing, mm -hmm. right? Like what would that do? Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden this, rapidly higher function began for me. So I went from homeless to vice president of technology in a corporation in just a handful of years. Mm -hmm. And to give that even more context in the middle of that, I got really sick with an aggressive cancer and almost died. Um, right. So uh, along this whole way, I'm now uh, functional in the world. You know, I have right. a very high paying job. I've got a beautiful house. I have a beautiful girlfriend at the time. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, people were coming to me going, when are you going to write your book? Like this mm -hmm. is, you know, people that knew any of my history were like, oh my gosh, this is, mm -hmm. this is a book. But I was really back at, there's so many people still suffering. Like, what do mm -hmm. I do? Mm -hmm. So way back when I started a podcast, it was like 2005. Mm -hmm. It was like one of the first podcasts. And I started to share some of these ideas that had helped me change and ultimately change the people that had been working for me and the, you know, the, whatever leadership I had grown into. And, um, that became like a calling into this coaching thing. People all over right. the world actually began asking me for coaching. And at first I was like, what's this coaching thing? Thinking that's right. like a right. soccer coach or a football coach or what, it, what is that? Mm -hmm. And uh, ultimately a really close friend ended up asking me, he goes, you know, I'm listening to the podcast. I know you, I would love coaching. And mm -hmm. he hadn't shared with me kind of what was going on behind the scenes for him with his business and his wife mm -hmm. and all these things. So I took him on just on the side as like a client. Mm -hmm. I said, well, let's, let's do some of this work. And immediately I could see that this was, I mean, even in this deep dysfunction, this is like what I was trying to, when my parents were arguing, trying to get them to see things differently. So mm -hmm. in some way, mm -hmm. this was like a little bit in me from the beginning, right? Mm. It was this, let's look right. at things differently. Let's try to figure mm -hmm. things out. Mm -hmm. um, and now I was at a place where I could really begin helping people. So I ended up just to make a long story, only a little bit longer. <laughs> I left the corporate world. Uh, I ended up leaving that house and that uh, partner at the time who I'm still very close with and I care about her, but it wasn't the romantic relationship for either right. of us. Right. And I moved into a really little apartment in South Philadelphia and I just sort mm. of focused on coaching in this podcast for a little while. And that has grown over the past 14, 15 years, whatever it's been into this company that I now run and, uh, you know, being so honored to deeply help people profoundly change, right? Like right. really uh, change at a different level than I think what most coaching and uh, honestly, even therapy is, is up to out there. I agree. And yeah. I can speak to that as a, you know, uh, 
I'm relatively familiar with the psychological and coaching world. A little at, bit, yeah. <laughs> at a level of theoretical and philosophical sophistication. And you really have grounded yourself, in my estimation, in a very set, profound set of insights in, in yeah. terms of um, what allowed you to gain a fundamentally new perspective on being in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it, it, it then kind of goes into, well, like, well, what is this fundamental shift, right? What are, what are we talking about? And a lot of that has, has to do with our identity and mm -hmm. kind of who we think we are. Uh, it, it starts to play with what thought is and how thought is affecting mm -hmm. our lives in ways that we maybe don't see. Right. It has a lot to do with actually what time is, right? Like mm -hmm. how much is, is time affecting us and how much do we calcify into ways of being in what we believe about ourselves, what our predictive engines are for mm -hmm. what's possible and what will happen and how much we're then participating in, you know, being alive and, and doing these things. And, right. you know, to a great degree, I think that most average human consciousness is not aware of what thought is quite honestly doing to them, mm. uh, how that affects emotions and behaviors and relationships and, you know, everything that we're doing. And there really is a sort of a starting point to wake up out of that to mm. where you can start to manage uh, what your, what, where your focus is, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, what, how you're thinking, whether you're believing in the thoughts that you're thinking, whether you're capable of creating massively more useful thoughts, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm not, I'm not talking about the secret or law of attraction where you just mm -hmm. go like, I am a millionaire, I'm a millionaire, you know, and lie to yourself, right? That's not functional either because inside you're going to know that's not true. And it, it, right. you end up lying to yourself is actually not the answer, right? Mm -hmm. That's, that's uh, you. I think you said when you were describing your history, you had all of this injury and baggage and you were projecting onto the world. And then you said that you sort of woke up and brought yourself new to each situation. And that was part yeah. of some of the, uh, that's part of the fundamentals. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a huge thing, right? And I, there's so many different parts of this to talk about. And I, I always want to be like really useful and do that. But mm -hmm. if we, if we think about, uh, let's talk about thinking versus thought. I think that's a really mm -hmm. interesting concept, right? Mm -hmm. Um, uh, or let's even talk about before that, let's talk about thought and experience as yeah. two different domains of being, right? Okay. So most people, I would say, and I'm not most people, so I may be wrong here, but just what it seems like to me is that most people are almost lost in thought, right? Mm -hmm. They are modeling in their thinking all the time. And we know this, you know, like if you walk into a room, you don't have to pull up that that is a refrigerator or that is a piece of art, right? These, these knowings kind of come online automatically. This is a very reflexive uh, feature of being a human being. Mm -hmm. Most of us are taking that much further, right? We might actually have like a bad experience with a parent, let's say, mm -hmm. and we might walk into breakfast and there's the parent and all they're doing in this moment is eating cereal, right? Mm -hmm. Nothing bad is going on. But if I have a bad history, like right. a, a past experience of this parent, I end up plastering that knowing about mm -hmm. them onto it. Mm -hmm. And I might even leave and go like, you know, or if say I'm talking to a friend in that moment, I might say, see what, you know, what a, what a bitch my mom is or what, you know, whatever's going on there. And the friend's like, what are you talking about? Like, she's just eating breakfast. Wow. But in my experience, I'm taking a thought, which is actually, if you think about thinking versus thought, thinking is something where I would be actively using thought to mm -hmm. model new things in my mind in this moment. Mm -hmm. But what we do with that is we come to thoughts, which mm -hmm. actually become our memories, right? We mm -hmm. become, I know this about something. And so 
thought is quite literally the past tense of thinking, right? Mm -hmm. And so I, me and myself, I have this whole stack of thoughts about right. what's real, who I am, what the world is, what's possible, what everyone in my life is. And at its worst, what happens is, is that the actual moment, the real thing here, the people in it and all that end up really just being props for my fantasy about them. Right. Mm -hmm. So mom's mm -hmm. a bitch, dad's a pain in the butt. Right. I can't possibly get this job. That interviewer is not going to like me. If somebody looks at me bad, I know what that means. And we're not actually in relationship with the moment directly. Right. Mm -hmm. We're not actually in really the only shared space that people can be in together, which is the now. Right. Mm -hmm. We're, we're mm -hmm. pasting our past onto this moment right. and we're re experiencing it as if it's a new experience. Right. As if it's a new thing that happened. Mm -hmm. And when we do that erroneously, because we haven't been taught how to do that, or even that right. we do that, right. it just calcifies these stories about the world and about ourselves. And because survival and safety are so important, that is often um, pointed more toward safety and kind of shutting down and not taking risks rather than expanding and doing what's possible, right? We end up with stories where I couldn't possibly make that much money. I'll never get that job. I don't have enough friends. I'm not pretty enough, happy enough, funny enough, whatever. And so we end up in this now that is plagued by meaning that wasn't consciously or effectively created. Absolutely. And we end up in stories that leave us very psychologically uh, damaged. And if we, if we think about almost all psychological challenges, whether that be depression or anxiety or OCD or whatever, at the center of that is a, is a flawed or a difficult sense of meaning making, right? What do things mean? Uh, what, is, what is my interpretation of this moment and what is the meaning that I'm doing uh, with it? So if we can wake up out of that and see that that structure is going on, that is a fundamental shift in mm. escaping um, you know, what I often call lenses, right? Like right. that, that look at your mom is like a lens and that might be an interesting thing to share. I don't want to just keep babbling away, but should yeah. I explain lenses a little bit? Yeah, actually I'll summarize and then let's yeah. go into lenses. Okay. Um, so I think if we, we can look at a number of different ideas, stoicism, uh, mindfulness, cognitive therapy, and they will shine particular angles on this set yeah. of insights. Um, but I think you have a very powerful angle, yeah. you know, and so, so I just want to invite everybody just to take a second and let's go with this divvy, uh, difference you gave between thought and experience. Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. For going right? back to that. And then, yeah. and then let's just, for me, so for me, you know, I taught a lot of cognitive therapy, but I, I didn't actually help people differentiate so much between the experience of now mm -hmm. okay? and to get in resonance with what the experience of now is. Yeah. Okay? So yeah. like my body sitting in this chair right now, mm -hmm. right? and I'm embedded in a particular structure with you right now. Mm -hmm. And our conversation actually, uh, our conversations in your educating me about these processes mm -hmm. you know, opened up a space for me to be in touch and in resonant with my experience of now in a different sort of way. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. Um, and to give it to sort of a contrast. So, I'll, so I'm prepping this, uh, you know, podcast and I'm like, Oh, what am I going to ask him? And how's it going to go? And are we going to be able to plan this? And what if this doesn't work and blah, blah, blah. And I am much more just aware as soon as my ruminative thought structure, mm -hmm. you know, takes off in a particular way, right. Yeah. I have an, a very clear awareness of, well, there's the ruminative thought train. Yeah. And what is the presence of experiencing now? Yeah. Yeah. 
So I love that. I love that. Thank you for um, calling that out because that was, you know, I went to the difference between thinking and thought, which is a huge part of the structure, (laughs) but what is maybe prior to that and is at the heart of a lot of this is having a realization that there is a different thing between experiencing this moment um, and we'll just say purely, right? Like, mm-hmm. the, and because as we get down into the minutia, even your experience is milliseconds behind the thing that right. happened and, you know, we're mm-hmm. stacking and we're doing this, but to whatever degree is meaningful for a self and a human in, in the moment, experiencing this moment, like what a real color is and what the, you know, and everybody listening uh, can, can, you know, right now, if you're sitting in a chair, like there's a feeling of sitting in the chair. There's a heaviness to you that is giving you an experience. Just to give a quick uh, ahead, like a wink, wink to, to where this can go to, you can actually fall in love with that experiencing mm-hmm. almost in any form, right? Now right. myself would like the good forms of that, right? The pleasurable, the delicious taste or the massage on my back or the whatever. But there is a, uh, when you really get the fundamental shift, there is a space in now that is the thing that you actually are, can be in love with, right? right? That's, that's the thing that can become almost the romance of your life. And that is like immutable. And even though it is changing all the time, the relationship between it becomes deeply unchanging beautiful, right? and beautiful. safe. And so yes. even if the ruminating mind comes online and we fall into anxiety or fear or less than, or whatever's going on, it's never, it's always right here. And, and this is why people say there's no path to this. It's not, it's, it's, because you're lost in time, it feels like you may need time to get there, Mm -hmm. but this is always right here for you. If you can gain the awareness of what thinking is versus experience. I I have. So for me, you know, it took me, I was trained in the classic empiricist scientist way. And I still have a naturalist philosophy, but it's expanded so much through the unified theory and everything else. And I now freely use the word soul and spirit, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, and the soul for me is my first person experience of being, mm-hmm. you know, and the functional form of my life takes. Mm-hmm. Okay? And so now what I would say for the experience of nowness, here's the way, and my analytic mind works this out. Okay. You know me, I'm always like doing yeah. that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's okay. Um, but basically, so we have the, there's a resonant feeling in the body. All mm-hmm. right. And then a screen of isness basically, yeah. uh, that is framing our adjectival properties like, oh, I see red, I taste the strawberry mm-hmm. and through an ad, to use John Berveke's term, an adverbial frame of reference. Mm-hmm. Okay? Yeah. So now that base of sentience into the body that gives me a screen mm-hmm. and then to bring a loving attitude that gets fused with that is yeah. a beautiful thing. And yeah. I thank you so much for that. Yeah. For me, that synthesis happens through your your coaching or education or your insights brought that connection to me yeah. in Thank a very you. meaningful way. That's amazing. So what's, what's interesting there is another way that we could talk about the heart of this. And by the way, there are like real experiences where I can walk people in, a, in just a handful of minutes through a very meaningful experience of the difference between experience and thinking. Right. right? Um, and, uh, and so anybody who's wants that, you know, please find me. There's, there's things I can point you to that, that can take you through that in a really meaningful way. Um, when you talk about adverbs and adjectives or adjectival, all that stuff, let, let's think about the difference between nouns and verbs, right? Mm-hmm. In a sense, right? One of the things that if we talk about isness and, and the change in the moving that's mm-hmm. happening all the time, the now we could consider is like the, the actuality of that. That is like what is, is really happening. 
And it's, it's, you know, like, uh, like, uh, Bucky Fuller would, would say, you know, it's, it's, it's all verbs, right. It's mm -hmm. all this, it's all this movement. It's all this action. Mm -hmm. What thought wants to do is, which is very, it's really useful. Right. But if we're doing it wrongly, it can be very damaging. Right. right. But what it's doing is it's slamming it into separate nouns and things to be judged and known about, which is incredibly, again, really useful, but we end up feeling lost in that. And right. we actually also then get lost in time. Mm -hmm. So we're actually not deeply in the experience of what's really here for us. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, and we end up instead modeling from our past, thinking right. about the future, doing all this prepping as if we're eventually going to get there. Mm -hmm. Right. As if mm -hmm. like, I'm not there yet. Right. There's right. the psychological feeling of it's not enough money. It's not enough friends. It's not enough mm -hmm. happiness. I'm not there yet. So what do I need to do? Right. So it all becomes about this control and feeling very separate from if you can put that model down, even for a moment, what comes online is the experience of whatever actually is. Mm -hmm. And in that. Right. It, we don't want to create a new belief system where I'm telling you to fall in love with that. Right. That is not a that's not an idea that I want you to enroll in. I want you to come to that to your own, you know, knowing where it's like, oh, this is actually where value is. Like joy is actually right here. In fact, I'm never not right here. And if I'm thinking I'm only modeling not being here and I'm missing the experience of everything that's going on in this moment. And we can focus on any one part of that, right? It might be your breath, which at first, if we're thinking all the time, that's deeply difficult. But as we learn to actually do that, just your breath at your lips can be filled with like incredible joy and amazement and like, you know, just wow, right? Like a, a huge wow experience. Mm -hmm. So if that becomes valuable, think about what this might change in society. If mm. humans could bring this online in a different way and the thing that we actually value is the actual, is the sacred that's like mm. literally, if we make the now sacred in something, realizing that we're only really in the now, could we care for this in some way that's meaningful and fall in love with it? Now it's not that I have to get the car or do the right. uh, extractive, like have the more beautiful thing than my neighbor, because that's the thing that's going to make me feel valuable. The value is in the being and in the isness, right? right? The value's right here. So that might be a good way to describe the fundamental shift in a meaningful way, right? There's beautiful. this deep deepening into a sense of uh, a real connection to now and a real knowledge of how I'm using my thought right? Or how yep. thought is occurring, because I'm not always doing it. It's sometimes it feels like it's happening to me or right. whatever. This relates to emotions and behavior and how we relate to people and all the different things, right? right. If we get into identity shifting, I'm not suggesting that we all just go, you know, when people hear this or we hear about meditation or anything like that, I, I think there's often this jump to like, well, that wouldn't work for my life because I can't, I have a family and I've got to mm. pay my bills and I've got to do these things. Mm -hmm. And I can't just, I can't just fall in love with the moment and sit on a log and starve mm. to death. Right. Right. And by the way, nobody's ever done that. Right. Nobody, <laughs> nobody just, uh, you know, I'm not saying nobody ever starved to death, but like right. nobody, the Buddha didn't do this. Jesus didn't do this. Like none of the great spiritual leaders did this, you know, it all came back to sharing some of this and then talking about how do we live differently from right. that. And so we could talk about identity in a, in a ton of different ways. Yeah. One way that I don't think comes up all that often is what am I identifying with? Okay. Right. So right. the more that I'm holding on to in any moment, Actually, can I pause yeah, you just of course. a second, yeah, yeah. just because sure. I want people to let's sit with this for just a second. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, because so we have thought, then we have experience, and now we start relating to experience in the now in a different way. Yes. You know? And so that differentiation for me is, is clear. And, and I will say what you were saying, I'll just echo it. We'll say, you know, like 
the Dow is not the Dow, that which can't be, you know, there is a, yeah. with, with this is very much sort of like when we, there is a, there's an, ex, it's very experiential, mm-hmm. you know, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're trying to think it through, you're probably, we're not, that's, you know, it's being more than thinking through. So that's, yes. Yeah. But we got to talk about it. We're on a podcast and we got to let people know what we're talking about. Yeah. But so for me, the idea of, of attending to the experiential, that's what I call the experiential, mm-hmm. and then to appreciate the experiential in a particular kind of way, both become aware of it and then appreciate it in relationship to loving it with awe. Mm-hmm. You know, it really, mm-hmm. this is, and, and I, if, if you look a particular way, this is a foundational traditional wisdom insight. Right? Yeah. yeah. O- over and over. So, so the, the one invitation then is to be aware of the mystery of subjective experience, mm-hmm. to be present with it and to be in love with it at, at its core. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the, you know, when we talk about the fundamental shift that you are, that's really at its central core. And you're also then going to bring around this whole other idea that will bring a pragmatic identity shifting to it. Yes, but I, yes. I want to just be centered in that for a second. Yeah. So and let me, let me, my only reservation that was said perfectly. My only reservation is that I don't want to, the first part of this is just to see that the thinking stuff is mm-hmm. happening mm-hmm. to your point about knowing about it, right? We have, we really want to like get the skill and it feels mm-hmm. like I'm going to have to understand this and know it and all that. And to your point, Every time that you're doing that, that is just more thinking, mm-hmm. which is fine, right? But it's if you don't see that that's what that is, you haven't, you haven't left it in any meaningful way. So these little glimpses of like, what is it to really put down thought mm-hmm. is not to have another thought about it, right? It is, it is actually <laughs> to notice, like, what does your seat feel like? And then if we go too fast to falling in love with that, we're going to set up a should where, because at the beginning of that, that doesn't feel like what love is. That doesn't feel right. like, right. So, so that love may come online later, but I don't want you doing it to right. get there. Right? right. I want you to do it more because thought is messing you up mm. and it's causing suffering mm-hmm. way prior to you falling in love and, and walking mm. in Eden, which is, which right. is really what is right. available. So if I set up like the longer term goal, when you really get this and can, can ground in it, you can literally live in what, you know, I would describe as an Eden, right? Like this now moment becomes beautiful in all it's good and bad because you have a very different relationship to how you paint things good or bad, right? right. That skill set is amazing, right? right? This, this, and this is another thing where we're taking ownership of how much thought is doing to us, right? Like most people would say, well, no, things are good and bad externally, mm. And I have to know what those are and understand those rather than realizing Mm -hmm. you're putting on the good or bad to an enormous degree. Right. Right. Now that doesn't mean ought goes away, right? As humans, there's a set of ought like surviving and being kind to people. And we can start getting into those, but those are way more in the identity shifting part of this more than they are in the fundamental shift part of this. The fundamental shift part of this is, can you begin to, well, one, one way I've said it in the past is, uh, proprioception in the body, right? You and I have mm-hmm. talked about this. Yep. Um, humans are way better at kind of knowing our agency at our own movements. Not that we know like how it happens in the brain, but I know if I did this with my arm, mm-hmm. that it was me. Mm-hmm. And I usually can own that that was me. Right. We are not that aware of what we're doing with our thought. 
What we're nice. doing with our thought is is invisible to us, which is again maybe back to lenses would be a, a really good yeah, metaphor. Say, exactly for let's people. A, let's bring um, that in. Yeah. So, but but let me finish the the proprioceptive part of this. Like what we need to do with thought, and and to me this is foundational because again at the center of our mental health problems is meaning making, yep. but also at the center of our societal problems is meaning yes. making, right? So. What does it mean if that country is going to do this or that business does that or my spouse does this or whatever? Like if we can't agree on meaning, we're and we're noticing this more and more with social media and what it's doing and what's true, what's false, all that stuff. Mm. If we can't understand what to value and what's important there or and find a way to agree on it, we're you know quickly headed toward a cliff that's going to be difficult to not you know die when we hit the bottom. So uh, the proprioceptive part of thought is. If you, if you were to say in your physical behavior, if I didn't know that my arm was doing this mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I, and not only did I not know it, but if it's happening and I don't own that, it's me right mm. now, I might be like hitting other people and then going, what do you say? And I'm not doing that. Right. right. That's not me. Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's what's happening in our thought back to when I'm kind of making my mom a bad person and she's just eating cereal. Exactly. And I might have all this great reason, like she may really have been, but in this moment, when we come to the now, this new possibility for whatever's going on now, I'm limiting if I make her bad again, right? right. In some way. Okay. Now that may be smart. It might protect me if she really is going to be bad. Like there's arguments for understanding and knowing this. What I'm talking about is that we don't see that this is happening. And the metaphor that I usually use for that is lenses. Okay. And so if we think about any kind of a lens, right? Cool. You and I are both wearing glasses, but it could mm -hmm. be contact lenses or a microscope, or you could do things with multiple lenses that change things in different ways. You can uh, wear rose colored glasses and that would change things, right? We all know that if you look through a lens, it alters what you see, mm -hmm. right? That's the first feature of a lens. And I think we all kind of get that. It's yep. like, if I have mm -hmm. the right prescription on, it might help, but mm -hmm. most of the glasses in the world are gonna make my vision worse because they're not gonna be for me and they're gonna be altering it. Right. The second feature of a lens that is literally hidden, but also unknown to most of us is that lenses are built to be invisible. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is they're built to be looked through, not looked at. Mm -hmm. Okay. So yes, once you bring it to my attention, I'm aware that I have glasses again, mm -hmm. but almost all the time during the day, I'm not considering these glasses right. and I'm not thinking about them at all. And they're just lost to me. Psychologically, our thoughts and our beliefs, our attached thinking, what we're very, very sure is true, are like lenses, okay? In that they deeply alter what we see and how we see it, mm -hmm. and they're built to be invisible. Mm -hmm. So if I'm lost in lenses, I'm doing that thing to my mom and I'm doing it about myself and I'm doing it about the world and what's possible. Old thought that comes on as a lens, it's mm -hmm. altering things. Uh, I think in ways that might be helping me, but what we know is that that's actually not true usually, mm -hmm. right? They're set up to be uh, no longer relevant or you know, maybe I took on a lens as a child because I went through abuse and it was how I got through it and it was really important, but now I'm doing it with like every relationship I have and so right. I'm not capable of trust in any direction. And I would argue for that as it's true. That's absolutely mm -hmm. right. Mm -hmm. But what I'm not seeing is that I'm pasting a kind of thought, a lens on, it's invisible to me and it's deeply altering the world. I would argue that humanity is doing that uh, right. in, a, in you know, just en masse all the time. And like the arm, we don't see that we're doing it and we don't own that we're doing it. And so that is deeply keeping us unwise. It's making us continue to feel separate, continue to act selfishly, continue to you know, break agreements and do what is comfortable in the moment, all these different things. And so 
again, what's the fundamental shift? It is this different perspective to begin seeing, oh, that's a lens, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. And if I can begin to see my lenses, if we think about step one, like just getting a different perspective, like quite literally, if I, it changes how I see, if I just take these off and consider them, right? Right. Mm -hmm. Even if I don't take them off and I just consider them, at least I know I'm seeing differently, right? There's a ton of wisdom in beginning to see that that's happening. And people don't know it's very often we can talk about an example and go, Oh, I see how they're doing it, but I don't do that. Right. Right. Or I don't do that about myself. I might do that about this person, but I don't do it about me. We are doing this in everything that we say we know, like this is what our, you know, knowing ends up looking like it ends up altering how we see things. And we don't really see how the thought is partaking in that. Does that make sense? Totally. totally. So uh, I'll put it, let's, uh, we bring it back to the unified theory. Uh, mm-hmm. Just in terms of uh, one facet of this, there's more to our psychology than this, but of course, one facet that I stumbled upon in mid 1990s was this whole idea of justification. Yep. Okay? Yeah. And the idea that we have this language propositional system. And as I started to see it, and I realized, oh, well, when we started asking questions, we had to justify our actions. Yeah. Right? And then I saw everybody else as being justifiers. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then as that lens got good, then all of a sudden, I was able to then see myself. Oh my God, it's I'm not just everybody else. <laughs> I'm built here. You know, my wife's like, why are you 10 minutes late? Well, the traffic. It was like, well, you know, it's yeah. sort of the traffic, but that's yeah. where my mind goes to legitimize my actions totally. so that I'm justified. And then I was like, oh my God, I'm a justifier. Yes. So it's getting yeah. that perspective on that lensing. So that's one of the aspects of the thought uh, lenses. A hundred, a hundred percent. And so when we think about, you know, Uh, Some of the best therapy you can get is if you go into therapy, you actually discover that you've been holding a lens forever and you actually make a different meaning about that or get free of it in some way. And that would be just one lens, right? Mm -hmm. That would be just one lens. So in a way that I describe the fundamental shift being different is actually noticing that that is happening in all these directions about all these things and leaving those to come up and go, oh my gosh, that's happening all the time, right? Um, And in all these different directions. And that that would be a fundamental shift to get a different perspective on your lensing, on your thoughts and how they're affecting the moment and all that stuff. And an enormous part of that is to, can you break up with thought in general Mm. and come back into experience, right? Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. Like rather than debating each one of those and going, is that a lens or is that a lens, which is just more thought and more learning and more trying to understand and go, no, 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 no. Can I just put it all down and just be here? Can I just see my mom eating cereal? You know, can I just feel what the air on my skin feels like? Can I just do these things? Can I just taste my food here? Right. Mm -hmm. So now we're uh, escaping our lenses, even if it's only for a moment. And if, as we can begin to ground into how that's happening, we start to gain the kind of wisdom that you're talking about where we go, oh, wait, I'm justifying all the time. I I see that I'm doing this a lot. I see that I'm carrying memories that are holding me back. I'm thinking of myself in this way. What if I thought about it differently? Um, And we gain a lot of wisdom from that move. Uh Yeah. 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 And I think that one of the things that I'm seeing in terms of, if I look out at society, Uh and what I hope for um, is to gain insight on our human nature so that we can turn adjacent to it, so that we can yes. then step outside of it, so that we can then, and, and I think your fundamental shift, and when I try to advertise like, hey, we're all justifiers, can we get adjacent to our justification, or can we shift uh, so that we're not through it, but 
adjacent to it to see it. Yes. And I believe that this is, you know, I think this is necessary uh, across a wide variety of different levels and that we will be able to um, be much more, much less invested in particular rigid reciprocal narrowing frames that really get us trapped. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is, if you have a justification system, let's say a belief system that is even, you know, what money means or how we run society or what a law is or, or any of those things. So many of those end up just getting taken as they're just truth. That's just what is. Right. There's a deep wisdom to understand, oh, that's a useful truth, right? And, mm -hmm. and that, that's a, a, just a slightly different relationship with it. Mm -hmm. And should it be edited or should we keep it? Should we mm -hmm. honor it? Like what's, mm -hmm. what's happening here? Right. And it, again, if we can't, this is, this is uh, I almost want to get into the self-world model, but it's a whole yeah. nother, it's a whole nother, you know, sort of deep thing. Uh, there's a lot, a lot of deep things here, but you know, what our history is doing to us to, to create a self is a whole stack of memories and beliefs about myself and, and all those things that are incredibly contextual, right? With one set of surroundings, I may feel totally empowered and capable. And then some, somebody walks in and all of a sudden I feel like less than and horrible and whatever. And we're not seeing that that's happening in my own kind of belief about myself and, and whatever's right. going on. And so what ends up happening is that thought structure ends up creating a self right? And, and a world, right? Because the self doesn't live uh, without the world, right? So right. what I like to call that is an entire self-world model mm. of, you know, what I know about me and what I know about the world, et cetera. And let's say that that has a lot of lenses that are holding you back that have been maybe protective in the past, but they're no longer relevant and they're uh, leading to lack of trust and intimacy and empowerment and whatever. If I could just see that that's happening now, what's here is not only something that I can fall in love with and be uh, excited about, but the possibilities from here now just multiply what's what really could be right. And um, presently, if if all of us are doing that, we don't see the self that we've created. We don't see how thoughts are participating in that, and we're going to try and come together in groups and agree on things. We're going to keep this selfish model, right? That is. Uh, okay, yes, I think this group is great and I actually believe in it, but if I just do this one little cheat move, mm. it's going to benefit me and my family so greatly that I'm going to try and hide that and it's, it's worth it to sort of abandon the group in this thing. And this is what we see corporations doing. This is what we see nations doing in agreements about how to treat the ocean or whatever, right? If we can't meaningfully transcend self, right? And, and what I'm doing here is, is trying to uh, describe self differently, that the self-world model is just that. It's a model mm -hmm. that is incredibly useful. It is my identity in any moment, but it is not totally calcified. It is not actually even correct in a lot of ways. And if we can get into a, a love of this moment, what I call sort of the sacred now, if we can really value that and care about that, that is a non-self relationship with isness, right? That is a, I'm not separate from it. I'm now actually in isness in a meaningful way in my experience of it. So now I can see that I have a self, right? It's not that myself uh, just dissolves forever and, and I'm, you know, some light being that never has a perspective or an opinion, right? But myself can come online in a less attached way. I'm not mm. lost in it, in the rightness of it, in the knowingness of it, in the, you know, all the things, right? right. And through that, I can also see how much that self is really selfish, right? Which when it is selfish, some of that's important because it needs to keep living and it needs its own needs met and all that. But much of that is what is the problem with 
the collective, right? My selfishness and your selfishness and his selfishness. By the way, I don't have to make any of that wrong. That is the model that is online in our consciousness now, right? right? But if we right. can't meaningfully evolve past that, right. we're going to have a real problem making groups work, right? Totally. So when we talk about like, what's the first step? What do we do first to make not only our own personal lives work better, but society run better? Mm. We need to have some new relationship to a non-self kind of experience mm see that as valuable, which we will, if we're doing that well, it becomes very valuable. And then from there, now I can really commit into a group, see my own selfish nature, not deeply identified as the lens and lost right. in it, but see that come online, honor it if it's important, right? But also hold the space of what the bigger collective need and, and realness is of, of the bigger game that I'm in, which is society and larger, totally. larger life and experience, right? Totally. So then we can actually start to really honor things and behind the scenes when nobody's looking, still choose to do the thing that honors, you know, right. the, the more collective uh, important thing uh, rather than uh, do the extractive selfish move. Uh, because I don't have to be as lost in that. Is that track for you? Yeah, completely. And okay. so, um, for, so to me, one of the things that 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 goes to, like I said, I'm going to start talking about justification. So, if we pull it back to sort of the unified theory and just put it in some language, a part of yourself, your self world model, especially the talking part, is this mental organ of justifying. Mm -hmm. Like that's totally. that's the energy about what it's supposed to do. And experience dissonance if you're unjustified and it hates that, you know? Yes. And that's our nature. Okay. Mm -hmm. But what this affords you is the opportunity to, again, sort of move adjacent to that a bit. Yeah. Uh, and to reground the essence of the energy in a different place. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. And then relate to that differently. And, you know, rather than being like, oh my God, I have to be this and then be through it and then be reacting to it. Totally. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you see it. And you can hold it and it's mm -hmm. part of isness, mm -hmm. but it is, it, it's a fundamentally different perspective. On it, it very much is. And that's, that's the thing. And so first move for people is not to be totally awake and uh, in the collective and all. It's just to see it, right? It's that beginning part of seeing the justifier. By the way, the whole justification thing, well, lots of your stuff, but like why I had to get to know you, right? Mm -hmm. When I was like reaching out to you and it was so cool because you were like, well, here's some other stuff and check it out. And mm -hmm. then I said some things back and I think we just immediately were like, let's be friends. Um, mm -hmm. But the justification system was enormous in that. Like it is, mm -hmm. it is, it is such an important discovery and understanding. Right. And I'm not, I'm not trying to like not talk about that, but like, Oh no, yeah. th this, this stuff lines up so deeply because we end up with uh, again, when we're not seeing that this is online, when I'm deeply identified with self and my needs and my wants and selfishness, let's say um, all of a sudden I'm now doing persona, which isn't yep. really me. I'm now showing even my closest people, not a real intimate connection with yep. me, but what I think they want to, see, right? One of the things that we talk about is that it's not actually what you think about yourself or what they think about you, but it's what you think they think about you, right? That's what totally. most people are running around trying to manage. And so we end up with bullshit in two directions. I think it's quite literally 
called the problem of bullshit, but it, it goes in two directions. We end up bullshitting others to either keep them happy or be seen in a certain way or count up all the reasons we do that. And then to make that okay with us, we end up bullshitting ourselves and pushing things into the shadow and not looking at certain parts and avoiding and all this. And this is an enormous problem in psychology. So if myself is the most important thing, right? If that's what has to win and has to, you know, if my own legacy and how I'm known and all these, which are incredibly normal, selfish drives. Like we've all got those when self is online. The shortcut is getting a fundamental shift to just seeing that that is a part of your experience. It is not the entirety of it. It is also not the most valuable thing because you'll notice every time yourself gets what it wants, it's satisfied for about half a second and then more desire happens because that's what's, that's what thought is capable of, right? You could describe, and I'll do this with clients as they come on, describe literally your perfect life. As soon as they have that, by the way, that's usually a pretty low bar because they're suffering so badly. They don't even, they can't even see, like they don't even want to claim something really amazing. They do this little thing. We actually accomplish that. And then it's like, but that's not it at all because mm-hmm. it's something else, right? It's, right. it's, I want to feel good and be loved and have lots of things. And, you know, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's that desire move that is what a critical mind of, of any skill can do, right? It's right. like, as soon as you're here, my mind is capable of critiquing it and imagining something better. And that's what we're lost in. That is, that's why that's I say right. we get lost on the treadmill of time, right? This seems to be never enough. Uh, ev- even if I get all the things, like we could talk about all the unhappy millionaires and billionaires who are, totally. you know, deeply addicted and cheating and just, you know, hate themselves behind the scenes. You know, the Robin Williams who, uh, you know, ends up killing himself and he's deeply loved and talented and all these things, right? Like all of those things are because we can't meaningfully escape self and selfishness in a meaningful way, right? Right, and I think that's, uh, if you, like, if we go to another angle, not to, I just want to weave this from yeah, do unified it, theory. Sure. So the behavioral investment system, it, it idles in terms of where you are, where it wants to be. That's mm-hmm. what it frames it as. Yes. And then it maximizes expectations, makes some sort of discrepancy, and then tries to energize you towards that. So you're yeah. the structure from the bottom, and then your self-conscious justifier, both yeah. are setting you up for this, you know, acquire and defend and move and predict yeah. frame of reference. Yep. And, and so it's always in dynamic relationship to that. So if you're set in a particular way, um, whatever you are, it's always then going to be defined in relationship to the next set. Yep. You know? And yep. that's what creates all the energy. And if you're trapped in that, then that creates all of that distressing, unsatisfied, maybe if this next thing were to happen mm-hmm. place. Um, yeah. But it really, it's not about where you are, it's just about where you are in relation to the thoughts that are lensing the structure. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And so I, I like to think of that in that self world model as almost consciousness is heuristic mm-hmm. for all of those impulses right. ends up with an identity of me in mm-hmm. what I believe I can do, what I think I want, all these things. It's incredibly contextual. It's being moved around by back pain one day and mm. a rent you know, being due the next day and this and mm. that. And I think I'm the same person in that, but that's a bit of an illusion because I'm very, very different in very, very different circumstances with whoever I'm with that may or may not know me really and who I think they want me to be. And as that's changing with new news or information or COVID comes in or some tsunami hits me, uh, you know, there's no... It's trying to grasp and go, what am I? What matters? Who am I supposed right. to be? And it's it's none of it. 
is connected to this vine of isness, right? This vine of, of the real beauty of being alive and, and, and all these wonderful things. And so if we can give that just a little bit of a position, all mm. of a sudden we can almost like, uh, you know, de-rank the importance of self in a meaningful way, which by the way, self doesn't want to hear that. Self is like, mm -hmm. what? I'm, I'm everything. <laughs> I'm, I, I'm the whole game, man. I'm the center of the whole thing. But what you, what I want people to get is that you're in and out of self many times a day, just not for very long. And when self comes back online, the illusion of self is that it was never gone. Right. So if you actually sit with the strawberry and taste it, my argument is that in that moment that you're actually just tasting the strawberry, there's the experience of strawberry. And that's really to a great degree, what you are in the moment. Like that's, that's literally what's happening. What most of us do then is come online and go, judge it. I like this. This is good. How do I get more of these? Oh, I need right. more money or I need more, whatever. And we get lost in thought and that identity comes immediately back online. One of the ways that I try to talk about this with people is imagine uh, two versions of you going to get a massage from a really talented masseuse, right? Mm -hmm. And the first version goes in and the best masseuse in the world is giving you a massage, but you are thinking about your taxes and that jerk in high school. And, you know, like mm -hmm. the whole time you're not present to the experience of what is happening at all. Mm -hmm. You're lost in it. A different version of you goes in and actually is just present with the massage. There's no thought happening. And like, what a different experience that is. Right. Mm -hmm. And so if we could take that, if, if that makes sense, right. That difference of really being present to yep. an experience that's beautiful, what I'm suggesting to you is that the universe is giving you a massage all the time, right? There's a massage coming in all the time of what's going on and we are not paying attention to it at all. We haven't built the skill quite literally. I believe the, the parts of our brain that are good at experiencing are, are atrophying. Mm -hmm. Right. And what are really strengthening are these compulsive thought models and, and right. modeling and how do I get there? And again, we're lost in time. We're on this treadmill of becoming and getting and doing all these things. And, and we're ignoring that none of us get out of here alive. None of us are really in the moment of what does this look like? And, you know, for me growing up with uh, the, the really aggressive uh, sexual abuse and all that stuff, I was a, a very late in life before I could be present and feel safe sexually. Right. Mm, right. So, mm -hmm. you know, I think about a lot of men who are uh, going in to have sex and, and in their head, is, is mm. she enjoying this? Is this good? Right. Am I, am I big enough? Is this, you know, all the, all that stuff. Like, and none of that is the actual connected experience of making love, right. right. Just being with what does it smell like? What, how warm is this? What's that feel like, right. That being able to move around in the moment with what's actually going on. And I promise you that if you can, put down those thoughts and that comparison and that uh, am I good enough and all those kinds of things that are happening to just be in the experience of being with someone, you don't even need to have intercourse. You can have this incredibly sensual, beautiful, connected experience. And by the way, to, so yourself can feel happy about this, you will be rated later as a much better lover, <laughs> right? If you're capable of that. But again, that's not the point, right? The point is, do you have the capacity to be really satisfied and happy with what is right. Yep. Do you, can you even be present with what's going on? Yeah. I, I think what you said there, well, there are a lot of things that you said there, but one of the things that I had this imagery around is I had this sort of imagery of energy information flow in mm -hmm. my brain and all of it 
is like into this justification, into this planning, into this what about next, and just this entire field of thought. Mm-hmm. And my experiential system just gets smaller and smaller. Yes. And atrophied, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the point being is, um, oh my God, we can maybe learn the skill of yeah. shining the flashlight of attention into this mode and totally. growing it in a particular way and then relating it to it mm-hmm. in a particular kind of way. And then how would that change my own personal experience of being alive, but also now what I want to share and how I want to share, do I need persona as much anymore? Do I need, um, you know, all of the, all of the money? Do I need, all, you know, totally. uh, no, because I've got this other thing that is, uh, skilled and beautiful and, and, uh, and just amazing. I, I think I was t- telling you, and you were part of this, uh, back in September, um, I was lining up some of my logos with my experience, mm-hmm. you know, my theory, my experience. And I hit this thing called wisdom energy. Yeah. You know? Um, and I was walking my dog and I, and, and, and it was really, it was barely a thought. It was more of an experience of us. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I think I told you, I was like, Oh, I'm loving being without memory or desire. There it is. Yeah. Yeah. I was just there. The sky was blue. The sun was so crisp. And I was just, you hear all everyone's suffering. And I I don't mean to minimize anybody's suffering, but everyone's complaining and, oh Mm -hmm. my God, and there's Trump and blah, blah, blah. And everyone's going crazy. And it's a, the world is such a nightmare. And I'm just sort of like, oh my God, I'm Mm -hmm. just awestruck with beauty and and truth and presence. And it was just, there's no words for it, although I'm trying to recount it, but it really was an unbelievable. It's very much what it is. And so think about that. So there's a love of being, which is your being. There's no, and by the way, we are humans being, right? Human being um, without memory or desire, right? Which is without past or future. It is a fullness of this moment in some meaningful way. Now, I we could keep talking about this forever, but what I don't want to lose is, is where the identity shifting comes in because, because what, what's really important to get here and why I think, um, you know, I like to think that, uh, that the way I'm trying to talk about this is uh, unique and interesting and different and whatever. Mm -hmm. And I think even if we just talk about the fundamental shift, there's a lot of that there, even though we could say, well, meditation's doing that. And there's, Mm -hmm. you know, cognitive behavioral therapy, all that. Um, but there's another part of this too, because we, we have this deep debate of is ought, right? right? Like what's going on with is ought. And this doesn't, so this is a huge argument for strengthening the muscle of isness, right? Like, like have we let isness atrophy? And so we're just in all our own personal oughts mm-hmm. that are not at all aligned with each other. And so there's a lot of battling and, and fighting about what everybody thinks we should do and all the moral stuff of your right and all the justification games that happen with that. And so Step one, can you build a meaningful sense of isness, right? Mm. And then again, we're not just stopping on a stump and meditating till we die. That's not the point because what comes online is I, while I'm a part of everything, I also am some meaningful separate right. thing, right? Mm. I still do uh, want to survive and do meaningful things. So at this base lens of, of meaning making mm-hmm. is where ought comes online, right? right. There, there are meaningful oughts, right? And if I'm too attached to those and I lose isness, mm-hmm. I, I'm then sort of lost in that part of it. And we could see all the other problems coming online. If I try to make a belief system and say, these are all the correct oughts, just believe in them and we'll be fine. That doesn't seem to be enough because yep. again, people don't have a meaningful connection to this almost more important part of isness, right? 
Can yes. we get to uh, being awake and alive in a very different way of being human? Right. Like, I, I truly think this is a, um, uh, the next level of human, you know, uh, consciousness, right? This is like an up-leveling of human consciousness. But then what is it to meaningfully bring on ought yep. in a way where I can see it? I can see myself and its desires. I can see the thoughts that I'm having about it. And then how do I start sharing it with like people like you yep. to go, well, what ought we do? What's really right. important here? That puts the ought in a position where none of us are lost in it. None of us mm. have to get overly opinionated or connected to it. We can have strong opinions about it, but we all know this is from my own perspective. This is my own ideation. Could that right. be bettered by anyone else? How can we, because if we just imagine we all have a really meaningful connection to isness, yep. that's our primary love affair. Mm -hmm. And yet we are in some meaningful sense of time. Now we can come together sharing that isness and now together kind of move along time in a Beautiful. much different way. Right. Mm -hmm. And so this is where, when I'm bringing lenses on consciously, when I'm seeing that happening more, now I'm starting to identify and, and right. taking on an identity that is interested in very different things. Yeah. Right. By the way, my own personal success can remain a huge part of that. I don't, I don't want to not make money or, or do these things, but I maybe don't want to cause suffering as much, yep. right? Because I notice that uh, that doesn't really serve and I don't want that done to me. So I can start to have these wisdom moves that mm -hmm. become deeply meaningful mm -hmm. and I can live in the isness with an ought perspective mm -hmm. that's very, very um, attached, but not overly attached, right? Wow. It's, it's meaningful yep. and I care about it, but I also can, can quickly detach if I have it wrong or if it's not mm -hmm. working out or whatever. And so now, uh, you know, Jordan Hall and people like that talk about uh, the actual and the adjacent mm -hmm. possible, right? Uh, I was mm -hmm. starting to do doodles and I've, I've shared them with you and I shared them mm -hmm. with him about how we can kind of own this sacred now, mm -hmm. this isness, mm -hmm. And then as more people have that capability, how we can kind of come together honoring that, but putting in the aughts in a, in totally. a rightful relationship to them. And so now this, this is that difference move in justification in my mind. Yeah. Now we're starting to talk about what are the systems of justification? What are the important things here mm -hmm. uh, that, that affect education and making the, the, money and all the things? Very powerful parallel. So uh, if I speak from my own vantage point, so I, let's say I wake up in, uh, to 1996 into the stream of justification, mm -hmm. you know, and like, oh my God, we're all a bunch of justifiers. We're the justifying yeah. ape. And then, oh, me too. And well, what does it mean? Blah, blah, blah. And then it's like, well, does it mean we're all just a bunch of bullshitters? I mean, are we stuck in this? And, and how do we, and the answer was no. Um, yeah. And the well, reason, kind of, I mean, there's well, a kind of before. There's the a now, kind of, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that right, was the yeah. observation. Right, we're right. not, we're, we, we don't end there. Mm -hmm. Put it that way. And, yeah. and so for me, what I did, but I think this is very similar to the move that you made, which is, I was like, well, wait a minute. Are there sort of ultimate oughts and mm -hmm. values? Okay. That can serve as a flexible container for our judgments. Mm -hmm. okay? And when I zoom back, I, you know, I, I'll often say, well, be that which enhances dignity and well-being with totally. integrity. Yeah. So these became sort of meta values that yeah. I could then feel, you know, connected to in a, in a justified, reflective way, you know. And, and so for me, the uh, when you talk about identity shifting and zooming back and then applying those particularizes and having a wisdom frame that pragmatically guides you in particular kinds of oughts. Mm -hmm. That's, that's what I'm catching in relationship to my Totally. Life. And I love it. The, the, the thing that I'm very quick to come back to, because I think until we really have a meaningful connection to isness, 
our move is to skip ahead into some type of a belief system yep. and to say, these are the 10 uh, commandments right. or these are the things that we have to do. And while they may be exactly correct, if I don't have a different relationship to consciousness, right. I, I'm not going to embody them in the right way. I'm going to get overly attached to them. I'm going to start shaming people who aren't doing them. I'm not going to see the other selves that come online, right? Um, one of the moves when somebody can meaningfully escape self or, or see their own selfishness, right? Mm -hmm. That affords us a real loving, right? This does not shame selfishness mm. in any way. It actually mm -hmm. sees, oh, that to that perspective, when you're lost mm -hmm. in that, that is the exact right move, right? Mm -hmm. That was the mm -hmm. smartest thing that that thing could come up with. When I can wake up to my own version of that, now I can actually love myself like I would love a six-year-old who's having a tantrum, right? I may not love the tantrum and all that, but I can, mm -hmm. if I love that child and I do that well, mm -hmm. I can see that like, I get it. I know that you want the candy and I know you don't want to go to bed and I know all that. And we're going to have to do these other things, but mm -hmm. there can be real love mm -hmm. for that child if I'm mm -hmm. capable of that. So now I can love myself in that same way, right? Which is maybe even like a healthier way to self-parent or mm -hmm. to really deal with like when I get attached and or somebody's really hurt me and I'm, I'm devastated. And what does that mean? I can back up and have like real love for that self that's been hurt. But here's the big move. I also see that in everyone else, right? right? So how do we take a Trump? And maybe we're just, you know, if if you're one of the people who's just deeply disgusted with that and and what that was and and all the things, you know. Um, but is there a way that we could have some type of a compassion right. for a perspective that is, let's say, narcissistic or selfish or or whatever? And there really is, right? Yeah. Now that doesn't mean there's not maybe an ought to do or something that has to be done about it mm -hmm. or whatever. Mm -hmm. But we don't have to hate the person or even identify them with it as deeply. Right. So this Beautiful. is again about like how, how much are we identified with ourselves? Yep. How much are we holding other people to, to being so, that? And instead you can see, we just get lost in these selfish perspectives. And one of the, one of the nice things, uh, you know, get about being a clinician, I think mm -hmm. is that it does, it cultivates in you, if it's done well, this capacity for empathy in yeah. a particular way yeah. and, and perspective taking and the move that you're affording individuals as they step outside and to have that particular kind of attitude. Uh, I know somebody, one of my friends in the sort of space out here, metamodern space, um, you know, talks a lot about the problem of empathy and, mm. and how we, and, and an appropriate sympathy when warranted, but this fundamental capacity to see us all in each other in particular kinds of ways, yeah. to hold the particular space of wherever that person is mm -hmm. in the right relation. And mm -hmm. it's, um, it's, it's definitely one of the cultivating attitudes for ourselves and for other people that I think is absolutely central. So Yeah. Yeah. So one of the exercises I do with clients is, you know, when you're feeling stuck, because that will come online unconsciously and reflexively, right? You'll be, you'll get attached to something and it'll be a lens and you won't really see it. What will wake up for you is an emotional reality. That's mm. now either frustrated or scared or mm -hmm. uh, deep desire, whatever's going on. That's an alarm bell because we don't see the thought, but we're really aware of how we feel often. Oh, I'm attached somewhere. What's going on. And the first move is it's the transcend self exercise. Can you transcend self and just see yourself out here and just describe what is that selfish part of you? you attached to and right. really care for it like a child. But then the next move is often that's in relation to other people or a business or a job you didn't get or something. Can you then 
as lovingly hold that other person and really see it from their point of view. Mm -hmm. So let's say there's a child that you want to spend time with them and they're just like, mm -hmm. no, I want to be with my friends. And you're mm -hmm. like, you're like, but I do everything for it. Like whatever. And you get really attached to that. Can you see that child as mm -hmm. ah, they just want to be kind of an adult in this moment and not have a mm -hmm. parent and see this thing or whatever. And it gives you this totally different relationship to what was a very attached, offended, how dare you, you know, all that to, I can understand, right? I can, yes. I can, and, and that's a wisdom move that is always available. And uh, as we begin doing this, that can come online. And the first level of this is to become, you know, consciously competent of that, right? Mm. Uh, <laughs> so that it becomes a tool that you can bring online when you need to. Uh, but the deeper move is where that can become unconsciously competent. It truly right. just becomes a way of being where, uh, you can really see your own lenses. You can really see your own self. You can really see all the selves in others. And now um, it, it becomes closer and closer to impossible to be offended or it becomes impossible to really uh, get overly attached or, or care too much about whatever, right? You can, the car can break down at exactly the wrong moment and there can still be a love of like, yep, I'm whatever self wanted and was really attached to, I now have to you know, uh, deregulate that right. and come back into like, where am I? How can I be uh, in this? And that is the, think of the wise elder at whatever age, right? But the wise elder that's like, yeah, this is what happened. And I know it's not ideal. And maybe I lost the job because of it and whatever, right. but you know, I'm, I'm now doing the next thing. And, exactly. and that's the person that can adapt, can thrive, right. can totally. whatever the world throws at it can, you know. I, I think that, and then one of the things that I like, and struggle with some in psychotherapy, you know, is that I really believe we need to bring philosophies of living okay, yeah. to our lives. And mm -hmm. that means that, there, that uh, you know, it's somewhat ironically, but if we're going to get out of thought, we have to have the thought wake up about what we're getting out of and mm -hmm. then start the process of skill building. Mm -hmm. And what this seems to me to do in a very clear and articulated fashion is to say, here's, here's a valued way of being mm -hmm. with isness. Mm -hmm. you know? And yeah. here's a way to value it in a particular way. And you can start to build the skill and it asserts a particular kind of conscious mode mm -hmm. uh, that affords, I think, beauty, because what it does is um, I think virtually all the wisdom traditions will highlight, you know, our spirit of subjectivity. What is it like to taste a strawberry? I mean, that's a yeah. fucking I'll say as a scientist, that's still a fucking miracle, mm -hmm. right? I mean, it's yeah. like, how the hell do we actually taste strawberry? Totally. Yeah. Right. So there's an awe. And then there's an embodied awe of the experiential field and the nowness. Mm -hmm. And there's a philosophical way of being in the world with others that affords a flexible, adaptive identity shifting, yeah. you know, that can really enable a radically different kind of way of being in the world than say that who comes to psychotherapy. I mean, what do we see when people come to psychotherapy? They've been injured. Mm -hmm. And then they feel shit about that. They, they don't want to feel, but they can't help it. And then they resent themselves and they resent other people. And then totally. that is the way the world is. Mm -hmm. um, and then they feel trapped uh, to use John Verbeke's term. They're reciprocally narrowed in this particular prison. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. That is. And that happens to so many people across mm -hmm. so many different contexts. And if we were socialized into this way of being, it's mm -hmm. just a radically different position. Yeah. It's a completely different, uh, you know, it's a completely different level or way of consciousness, you know, to, to arise in human being. Um, one of the things that I see quite frequently in therapy, and this is even with some of the best therapists out there, um, because they haven't done this, like, like they don't know how to do this. 
even if you find, right, one of the big things that people are dying for therapy, like, why am I like this? What's going on? And then we find out, well, it's because your mom did this when you were six years old. And now that becomes like just the new story, right? And it, and it may story. afford you some level of understanding about yourself and it may feel good in the moment, but it doesn't necessarily change anything. And what can be really bad in therapy is you keep going back to therapy and it keeps going back to like, well, there you saw it again. And, uh, you know, I ended up in, in, in and out of uh, a lot of forced therapy for years because it just who I was and what I was going through. Uh, and I was eating through therapists, right? I was just like horrifying some of them and, and you know, uh, just playing with some of them and just being, you know, that guy. And, uh, but even once I was older and was trying to commit myself to it, I found that I was like driving to a therapy session and I was trying to come up with like all the things that went wrong that week so that I could bring them up and report on them, which is really just bringing my history into the moment to then be seen and maybe complain and go whatever, whatever. And then, oh, cool. I saw it again. Yay. And then, you know, and there's no real change, right? Like yep. nothing, nothing behaviorally is necessarily changing. I'm not really feeling differently. So to a, an enormous degree, not even moment by moment, but it, it's to a great degree to come into this isness and yep. really fall in love with the now in a meaningful way. We have to like break up with the significance of yep. our history, right? Totally. Because I can absolutely go back to how bad a lot of my trauma was. Mm -hmm. And when I do, I will notice that this moment mm -hmm. gets tainted in certain ways when I'm, when I'm doing that. Right. But when I really understood what it was to truly put that down, mm -hmm. I've been able to forgive that guy, forgive my parent. I mean, I have, uh, there were times where neither one of them, and I can say that presently I have the best relationship I think I could possibly have with my father. I have the best relationship I could possibly have with my mother. And, you know, that wouldn't have been possible without really forgiving. Right. right. And if we think about what forgiveness is, it is, it, it can't be this continued, I still remember what you did, but I'm just going to make it okay. It is really a fresh start in some sense, right? It's really like, let's put that down. And how do we begin again? And that's uh, available to us in every moment, not just with people, but with isness itself, right? Like let's, right. let's come back to this moment again. Okay. Here I am. What's, what's going on and how do I uh, fall back in love with this right now? Amen. Yeah. It's beautiful. If you, uh, we got to, you know, as we begin to think about wrapping up here, I'd be curious as you look over the horizon of mm. what's, uh, what's new in your thinking or what you hope, you know, not <laughs> bring in the thought of the future. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but in an adaptive lensing uh, identity sort of way, I'm, I'm curious as to what you sort of hope for, what you're thinking about, what's alive for you as you look to, you know, uh, share this, develop it, engage it. Yeah. I mean, I am, you know, this is one of the neat things for me and myself is that this has given me very clearly what my purpose is right on, on planet earth and uh, whether I can make money at it or how to do it for free. It's almost like you couldn't stop me from trying to help people with this. Right. right. So I've developed uh just a ton of tools. I have a group process, which is uh, just a really meaningful way to go through this and sort of do that wake up and then grow up through uh, learning how to shift identity and, and, and do these different things. And I know that thought space is one of those spaces that actually an immediate change can have massive change, right? Like just literally having a new, like learning something new mm -hmm. is whoa, that, that can be different in the moment and different forever after. And so what I know is possible for humans uh, on the individual level, but as we get it collectively, we can change almost all of our biggest problems if we can 
figure some of this out, right? Like if we can only get a little bit of this, some of our biggest challenges and things that we just assume could never be fixed, like people getting along or the end of war, or how do we feed everybody on the planet or any of, any of those things that, you know, how do we really fix the environment and do the things that are necessary if we've got selfish corporations that are just not going to change their behaviors or selfish countries that don't want to change their behavior, you know, as we understand this philosophy, this new way of being, let's say, uh, and take it on, all of a sudden, not only the problems in your own life can begin to dissolve and just be much easier and better, but I think in society they can too. So I've gone from doing this for years in a really intense individual process Mm -hmm. to realizing, and and for a while, because there was so much personal stuff happening, I wasn't sure I would be able to do it in a group. Mm. Ended up having kind of an epiphany about how to do that differently while Mm -hmm. keeping private, but also doing things in a group setting, built a group, and that's been amazing. And now I'm at a place where I'm really trying to move into using new technologies to help that group expand and and be able to to meaningfully get bigger so that it's not just a handful of people here and there, but more and more people can really uh, take this on and get the same amount of attention and maybe even better attention than I could do one-on-one. And so my deep desire is how do I uh, not only stand for this, but continue to build the best tools for people that are really, really suffering, who are dying to shift their identity into somebody who's not only successful, but deeply fulfilled and happy. And then maybe even somebody who's helping change other people's lives in whatever way uh, they can get to, because that seems to be one of the most meaningful things that we can do. And um, I know that it's possible and that it's just you know, uh, I'm going to keep hacking away at that, at that challenge uh, until I'm not here anymore. And, you know, I'm, I'm thrilled about it. I mean, it's just, it it lights me up every day, you know, that's, that's beautiful. And I know uh, I can say certainly uh, as I look out at the landscape of the mental health crisis uh, and the way we sort of socialize our kids to relate to their feelings and we relate to each other, people's feelings, um, there's just so many neurotic tangles that, yeah. that are unfortunate, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that where people are trapped in a particular way of being. Um, and, you know, I, I, my, my clinician heart bleeds for that in mm, a particular yeah. way. Uh, and I think that if we could tweak uh, the way we relate to ourselves, to other people, the frames that we have, um, there's so much more potential for fulfillment. And I think you really have delineated a way to think about a fundamental shift into identity shifting that is both simple and profound. Mm. Um, and it affords pathways for many individuals uh, to really, uh, well, be and think differently yeah, uh, yeah. about themselves and the world they're in. So, Well, I can't tell you what that means coming from you, how deeply I respect you and all the work that you're up to. And uh, I want to keep doing it with you, man. Let's keep, uh, let's do Amen. it. Let's, Amen. Let's, sort of uh, fundam- we're at the fifth joint point, fundamental shift. And we it. can be you talking with Greg. So there thank it you is. so much, Rob. You, I really you, appreciate it. It's you got it, man. Thanks story. for having me. So, all right.